This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we're going back to the future. Is that, that's, it's always interesting to see how you start the podcast because uh, this is presumably because I just mentioned I watched Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2 over the weekend with my daughter. Yeah. Or it's mostly because Secret looks like Biff. But uh, <laughs> just a random observation. Yeah, it was a random observation. <laughs> Um, but, uh, no, also because you mentioned that, yeah. I've got a one track mind. <laughs> so what, so what, you watched Back to the Future 2? Yeah. Oh, we're going to get right into this. Yeah, yeah. I watched, I watched Back to the Future, which is actually a fantastic movie. Holds uh, up. Very few people have heard of it. This is, uh, no spoiler alert. Yeah. Do they it's, go back to the future? Uh, well, I haven't watched it since I was a kid and it, it holds up. It's a, it was a great movie. Back to the Future 2, kind of halfway through, interestingly enough, when Doc says at the end where we're going... We don't need roads. Uh, he's only going to 2015. Really? So I said to my seven-year-old, like, this was four years ago. We're watching what's apparently happening four years ago. You know, hoverboards, cars flying through the air. Um, wow. So that's actually phones, like, uh, dial-up phones still. That was the, <laughs> But holograms in uh, in the parks that announce news to everyone. Uh, yeah. So was, some things that are way ahead of us and in other things that are wildly, still way... Wildly behind. Wildly stuck behind. in 1985. But, uh, but speaking of way ahead of us, maybe we should get to the guest. Yeah. You know what? We've got a fantastic show for everybody today. We've got Jerome Werniak. He is the director of sales at Neighborly.com. Now, the thing about Neighborly is that we were first introduced to them 
Um, and shout out to Elizabeth Milder and Cole Skelly who right, were on the past program. Guests. Past guests. Um, we really, we we really appreciate having Elizabeth and Cole on talking about their their growing empire of rental properties, and they use Neighborly. I, I remember that well because at the time I, I we weren't aware of it, and now that we know more about it, this is this is an amazing. What would you even call this? It's well. I don't know. I, I'm not tech savvy. Well, hey, let's wait. wait. <laughs> so, let's Biff, let's, any ideas? <laughs> uh, let Jerome describe what yeah, it is. Yeah, we'll let Jerome describe what it is. Super interesting, though. It uh, basically it's in. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll take a crack at it. It's uh it's AI first of all. Okay? okay, so artificial intelligence, right? And it helps you basically helps landlords securely verify tenants' identity, income, and employment, so that you end up with kind of the perfect tenant for your property. Right. And there's there's so much more to this. So maybe we'll wait for Jerome to really run through the details. Yeah, because these guys are on the front line. And part of this program is about talking about the future of real estate. So when we say that, we're talking about not only um, what it means for industry professionals, but also what it means for the consumer, what it means for the landlord, what it means for buying and selling real estate. The market's are changing right now and how people buy and sell and, and operate are changing at a very, very fast pace. And Jerome is definitely on the front line. Right on. Well, stay tuned for that. But before we get to our interview with Jerome, Matt, a quick shout out to the folks at the Vancouver Housing Market Club at UBC. Right. Um, really excited. We're going to actually be speaking there tomorrow, Thursday evening, um, and you can still get tickets. So that's, Vancouver, that's February 28th, we should say. It is February 28th. It's currently 90% full, but there are spots available. And if you are a student, that is the requirement. You have to be a student yeah, at UBC. At UBC. Right. So if you listen to the program and you want to come out tomorrow night, there still is time. You can find them on Facebook, the Vancouver Housing Market Club, um, or get in touch with us and we'll connect you with uh, El Presidente uh, David. Yeah, great guy. It's going to be a great talk. Maybe we should... Tease it, Adam. Tease the talk. Okay, I will tease the talk, Matt. We are talking not only about pre-sale versus resale, which uh, is something we've covered in the past, but I'm really excited about 10 tips for aspiring real estate moguls. And this is basically uh, a talk centered around young people coming out of university interested in building a real estate portfolio, how they should be thinking about it and the approach they should be taking to develop a real estate portfolio that would be the envy of anyone. Yeah, and and you know what else? Uh, as a final teaser, as well, we're talking about our five favorite areas for investment, um, as oh. well. So this is going to be it's an hour for this? talk. Where? It's an hour talk. I don't. Yeah, uh, but we'll we're going to do a lot of Q and A, and uh, we're very excited to be at UBC tomorrow. But Matt, maybe let's leave it there and let's grab our hoverboards and let's head back to the future of property management with Jerome Werniak, and uh, enjoy, guys. Where we're going, you don't need Craigslist. Okay, so we're here with Jerome Werniak, Director of Sales at Neighborly. How you doing, Jerome? Excellent. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. Yeah, no, thanks for taking the time today, Jerome. So, Jerome, can you start maybe by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not quite as interesting as our company, but more than happy to fill you in. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in Toronto here, and, and uh, I grew up um, painting apartment walls since the time I was in diapers, I helped my dad run a 20-unit building in the east end of Toronto here. So property management has, has been in my life the whole whole way through. Um, I ended up 
playing baseball and, and getting pretty good at it. I, I ended up getting drafted by the Texas Rangers out of high school. Wow. And turned wow. It down to go to, yeah, I turned it down to go to university in the States and uh, and go through the college route. After that wrapped up, um, baseball career was, was pretty much done for me. And I, I thought the next thing I wanted to do was get into real estate. So I, I joined a commercial real estate brokerage here in Toronto, who was acquired by Cushman Wakefield a couple years ago. And I did office leasing. So I was representing uh, both landlords and tenants. Uh, I represented Shopify for their first office expansion here and got into the kind of commercial side of things. And uh, I ended up meeting um, one of my clients who happened to be the CEO and founder of, of Neighborly, the company I'm at now, and negotiated the office lease for the for the office I'm sitting in right now here in Toronto, actually. And uh, one thing led to another, and, and I ended up joining on and starting a sales team here. So just a quick question. What position did you play in baseball? <laughs> I was uh, I was a pitcher, which some would argue is is not that athletic of a position, but uh, I could throw a ball pretty hard with my right hand. <laughs> wow! And and do you find now uh, are you having issues with your arm? Like, do a lot of pitchers have? Matt's Matt's really curious about your shoulder. I feel like we could do <laughs> three podcasts on 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 Jerome's I don't even injuries. Know. Well, no, <laughs> honestly, baseball, uh, not so much baseball, but anybody who gets that good at anything, I think is kind of an interesting story unto itself. But do Absolutely. you have, do you have, uh, uh, problems with your arm? You know what? I wish I had the excuse that I did and I could say that's how everything wrapped up, but it wasn't, I got more, uh, more injuries from, uh, riding the pine than I did for my, uh, my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And uh and and interesting story about growing up on the east side. So is the east side of Toronto on fire right now? You know what? I, I would I would say it's it's hard to say that there's any part of Toronto that's not on fire. Uh, real estate prices have, have sort of leveled off for the most part. Condos are still going up right now. Um, but in my opinion, which is completely unsolicited, um, I think the East End is completely underdeveloped, and there's a couple major projects going on in the East Side in Toronto um, that are going to really spark a lot of density getting added to the city and, and driving real estate values up, irrespective of of what interest rates do. Right on. Well, well, maybe getting back to kind of the the way you ended the first question there, um, you met the CEO and founder of Neighborly, and you and you were enticed to to join them. Can you talk a little bit? about that process and what got you so excited about Neighborly? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one, when I, when I, uh, I used to represent a lot of kind of smaller tech companies and doing their office leases for them. And, and I, I was fortunate enough to, to be able to sit down with a lot of business leaders and, and thought leaders. And uh, over the two and a half years I did that, I had never met anybody that just blew me away by not just themselves and their own uh, ability and, and, and insight and vision in their business, but with the product that um, they had developed. And the, the CEO's name is Dylan Lenz. And once I met him and started to understand what it was that he was doing in the industry and, and what his ambitions were, I didn't really have a choice. I had to jump on on the train as it was going. Uh, I shouldn't say train; I should say advanced airplane because um, I was I was blown away and and everything that he said we were going to do together, uh, we've done. And uh, I'm very very happy I've been able to join on and be along for the ride. So, Jerome, can you maybe tell us first of all, like how does Neighborly work? Yeah, for sure. I'll give a quick kind of background where, where Neighborly is, is really a, a free tenant screening service that assists landlords to make 
tenancy decisions and approving or denying tenants based on the risk of that tenant moving into a rental property. So similar to how a credit score helps lenders assess the risk of lending money, um, our tenant screening reports help landlords determine the risk of renting a property to a tenant. So we started in January 2016, I think, and we've grown to service over about 800,000 rental units now across North America. And yeah, the way it's the way it works very simply for, for a landlord is they go on our website, they sign up for an account, and then they send a rental application to any prospective tenants they have, usually after a showing of the property. The tenant fills out that application. It's digital, so it's on their phone or laptop, iPad. They upload an ID as well as income documents, and they submit it to us, to Neighborly. Within a few minutes, Neighborly notifies the landlord that the report is ready for them to have a look at, and the landlord logs into their account and views the Neighborly report. Um, the report itself, if you haven't seen it before, guys, I'll make sure I send it over after. The Neighborly report um, has a score of 0 to 100. And if you think of that kind of like the credit score, it's a it's an assessment of the tenant's ability to be successful for the lease term from 0 to 100. And it's color-coded where anything above 86 is green. I think 65 to 80, 85 is yellow. And then below that is red. And it's basically our recommendation. This is a really good fit for a property. Maybe you want a guarantor, or we recommend not renting to this tenant. And the report also informs the landlord of the uh, if if we if we've been able to uh, verify the tenant's identity, employment, income, provides a full Equifax credit report, a detailed analysis of the tenant's financial situation, so what their monthly cash flow is and how rental fit into that, and provides kind of predictive outcomes, so the chance that the tenant will be late on their rent maybe have to leave the property early, how long they're probably going to be at the property and likelihood of them causing property damage, things like that that are important uh, for a landlord to understand. That sounds amazing. When you say about uh, successful, is the, ten- is the tenant going to be successful? Uh, presumably financial kind of concerns are paramount there, but it also sounds like you guys do more than that. Like you're talking about being able to predict the average the time that they're likely to stay in the in the property. Um, what type of information and other things like that, what, what type of information are you guys using to make those types of predictions? Yeah, so uh, simply the, the application form we have is really similar to, you know, BC's standard provincial rental application. It's, it's pretty much the same information. But what we're doing is when we pull that in, as well as the income and identity documents, we're kind of creating a little profile of the tenant. This is their situation. And then we're applying external data to it. So that could be, you know, that includes their Equifax credit information. It also includes things like um, StatsCan data. So we can say, you know, somebody that's 27 years old um, that makes, you know, $45,000 a year and their rent is, is going to be about 27% of their income. What's the likelihood that tenants going to move in the next two years based on the job they have? So, for example, if I'm a, a software developer in Vancouver whose salary on average will go up about 7 8% a year, I'm likely to move faster than somebody that's working in a union job and getting an increase in wage by maybe 2% per year. Particularly with rent control, the tenant who's got more of a stagnant income growth is likely to be a longer-term tenant than somebody that has a rapid income growth. That's a really, really kind of high-level example, and there's about 500 data points that go into, into our reports, but that kind of gives you a little picture of, of how we do it. So Jerome, maybe let's take a quick step back here. So so Dylan, uh, who came up with uh, Neighborly, 
what were some of the problems that he was seeing in the rental market and, and, and what is he really trying to solve? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's actually, it's a really, it's a bad story, but it's a good story at the same time. Dylan was a, a first time landlord himself. He was 20, I think 2015 and he had just, um, he, he was living in Kelowna, British Columbia and bought his first rental property. Uh, it was a bungalow. He underwrote all the numbers. He, he, he decided it would make most financial sense to go in, renovate the bungalow into two units, uh, a main floor unit and a basement unit. Um, once he had finished off the renovations, he put the, an ad up on Kijiji, Craigslist and attracted tenants. Keep in mind, Dylan's a DIY person where he looks everything up, he talks to people and he does it himself. He doesn't really, you know, he wasn't interested in hiring a property manager or anything like that. Right. So he has tenants show up, tour through the property and puts them through a screening process that is super common in, in the rental industry, which was fill out a paper application, provide income documents, hand over your credit file, usually from Credit Karma or Borowell, and um, give me your references and I'm going to call them. And he did all of that. And for the tenant upstairs, um, everything seemed to check out. References said glowing things about the tenant, um, that uh, that tenant's credit score was actually better than Dylan's at the time. And he got a really good feeling, a gut feeling about this tenant. Um, Well, fast forward, once the tenant moved into the property and signed the lease, the first month of rent was due and it didn't come in. And at that time, Dylan was a you know first-time landlord. He'd never been through this before. Gave the lady the benefit of the doubt and said, it's fine. You know, I'll give you a few extra days. Uh, just pay me the rent. A few, few more days go by. There's no rent payment. And he can't get a hold of the tenant at this point. A couple more weeks go by and he still can't get a hold of the tenant and ends up looking at his options to go through an eviction. So he goes in and serves an eviction notice to the tenant. He brings that back. I can't remember the details exactly how it works in British Columbia, but hands that back to the landlord tenant board who books a a trial for him or a hearing rather about three months out. So basically he's already planning on not having any rent for about four months from this tenant. Once he finally gets to the the hearing three months in, in the future, the judge immediately or the adjudicator immediately throws out the case saying that this lady's actually been evicted four times in the last five years. And Dylan was happy that it was done with, but so frustrated that that information was not available and that he had not properly screened the tenant and he was in these circumstances. So I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie Eat, Pray, Love, Guys. Um, I think Adam list. Has. It's on Julia list. Roberts. Pretty good, pretty good flick. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, okay, movie. okay. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's about finding yourself. Anyway, he uh, he did the eat, pray, love thing. He moved, uh, he went to India for a few months and was so frustrated by the situation, he came back early and he said, I got to solve this problem. I do not want anybody else in my situation to have to go through this nightmare. So he sat down and started digging into the research and figuring out what he did wrong. Well, it turns out, the credit file that the tenant had provided him was completely fake. It was doctored. And he, he could go on Photoshop and create whatever credit file he wanted in two seconds and hand it off to a landlord. So that was off the board right away. The references he had called turned out just to be friends of the tenant. There was no way for him to verify who he was speaking with and only heard positive things from those landlords. And when he dug further into this and started doing research around the credit side of things, he realized that credit is not really a good indicator of a tenant's ability to pay rent or to be successful in general, even if he had got it directly from a credit bureau. 
And the reason for that, which he discovered, was that credit bureaus are not set up for tenant screening. They're set up to assess the risk of lending somebody money and having that person pay back the money on time, generally with interest. And with this, he started looking deeper into it and discovered that uh, one really damning statistic was that 97% of tenants that are under the age of 35 generally never have to go through an eviction, yet 62% of that same group have subprime credit scores, meaning less than 650. And so there is obviously a, a distinct uh, there's no correlation between good credit score and, and good tenants. There's a whole slew of reasons behind that. And he knew that other landlords would often be misled by, uh, by these credit scores. Somebody has a good credit score, they're assumed to be a good renter. They can pay their, their, their rent on time. And what he understood was that grand scheme, there's no way to really over, overarching or holistically analyze the risk of the tenant. And so that's where he came up with the idea of neighborly, of factoring in rent-to-income ratios, factoring in um, credit payment history, things like that. And that's kind of the origin of, of where neighborly came from. So, so what you've outlined here, Jerome, is seems like a fairly common story. Uh, I mean, obviously, we work with a lot of landlords, so we hear kind of horror stories uh, more often than you'd you'd want, but. His response is is kind of amazing here. Is there any other company that, that was doing this? Or did he just kind of from whole cloth uh, decide to develop a, a system himself? Well, you know what? There really wasn't anybody that was doing anything like this. There's about four and a half million rental units in Canada. And interestingly enough, three and a half million of those units are owned by individual landlords. They own one or two units. That's 80% of all rentals. And nobody had really built a service for that 80% of the market. And there's a couple of reasons why. Mostly, similar to why credit bureaus don't retain rental payment information, there's just so many landlords. And they don't want to spend the time in, in, in creating relationships with each landlord. Similar, you know, technology companies similar to ours or, or that um, are predecessors to ours didn't really have any way to access the individual landlord. They would do, you know, one tenant screening once every four years. It doesn't make sense for them to spend a bunch of money to acquire that customer. And so there really wasn't an incumbent before we moved into the space. So I'm interested, Jerome, you know, you called uh, Neighborly a technology company. And the first time I heard about it, I thought it was an app and kind of a a Silicon Valley uh, uh, type company. Do you guys see yourself as fitting into that mold or, or are you guys something else? I would, I would say, uh, I don't know if we fit into a mold, but we're certainly a lot larger than an app. Uh, the ambition we have for this company is to not, you know, grow users and, and sell it off to someone. We're establishing essentially to be the credit bureau of the rental industry and be able to underwrite risk better than anybody else can. And what that allows us to do is create all of these products off of it. They're going to solve problems in the industry. So I would I would group us in Silicon Valley rather than a little small app. And to date, Silicon Valley's responded. Um, we've grown to uh, I think just over eight hundred thousand rental units now, and that's mostly been financed by Silicon Valley venture capital, uh, who's poured money into us to see us grow and become the dominant market player on rental data. And and you guys are you're in the U.S. right now? Are you? Is that a market that you're looking at uh, entering, or are you there? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we actually opened an office in San Francisco just over a year ago, and our presence in the U.S. has been growing, although our headquarters is still here in uh, in Toronto, and we're definitely a, a very proud Canadian technology story so far. So can we talk a little bit about what some of these spinoffs are that, that you mentioned, Jerome? Like, where, where do you see the future of, of Neighborly? Yeah, it's a really good question. I appreciate that. I see the future of Neighborly, I should say, we as a company see the future of Neighborly as being the credit bureau of the rental industry. And what I mean by that is that once we establish ourselves, and right now, if, if you're using Neighborly, you have the ability to report information on tenants, meaning both positive and negative. If a tenant pays their rent on time, you can report it to us. If the tenant doesn't pay their rent on time, you can also report that to us. And that feedback loop of data allows us to sharpen our risk algorithm. So if you think about um, like an insurance policy, for example, if the more information an insurance company has, the more accurate they can underwrite risk and the better plans they can give out. Some products that we're, we're coming out with right now, for example, after a tenant screened uh, through Neighborly, they're offered rental insurance, uh, tenant rental insurance for content and liability. As we expand and we get sharper with our, our risk analysis, we're going to be able to offer things like that at a more of a discounted rate than anybody else will because we understand the risk so well. And really interestingly, a product that we're in beta with right now is a rent guarantee. And what that means is after you get a neighborly report, which is completely free, you have the option of opting in for neighborly to be the guarantor for that tenant, meaning that if the tenant ever defaults, neighborly will step in and cover the rent. In exchange, we take a monthly free from the landlord um, to basically uh, to pay for that risk being offset onto our books. And what that allows the independent landlord to do is, you know, the big guys in Canada here, they own 30, 40,000 rental units. And when it, if they have one eviction, it's not that big, big of a deal. But if you own one rental unit and your entire cash flow is wiped out for four months while you go through an eviction, that might put some people in bankruptcy or cause, force them to, to, to sell a property. And when they have the ability to opt in and protect against that risk, maybe they're going to get a slightly lower, uh, slightly lower return year over year on their cash flow. But they're also offsetting um, the large risk of going through default by using that proprietary product. So effectively, we're going to be able to design financial products like mortgages, loans, um, even shipping and, and moving boxes to tenants and landlords based on our proprietary risk underwriting. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, yeah, that is that sounds incredible. There seems like there's a lot to unpack there. First off, the uh, neighborly acting as a guarantor. Can we kind of just talk sort of basic numbers? Say you have a one bed in downtown Vancouver uh, that you're renting for two thousand dollars a month. Is is that what type of of cost are we talking to ensure that uh, neighborly is going to guarantee the rent? What uh, uh, kind of in a monthly cost yeah so uh, with a, a you know 12 month term uh, 12 month term uh, at two thousand bucks a month it's basically a twenty four thousand um, dollar twenty four thousand dollar lease agreement right and so with that if we're assessing the risk and our neighborly report comes out with a standard risk let's say 75 to 85 somewhere in that range um, you're going to be looking at about fifty dollars a month which equates to two to three percent of your rent paid to neighborly to um, make sure we're on as a guarantor in case the tenant ever defaults. And is there a sliding scale there, like in terms of the risk that you see 
uh, based on that specific yeah. tenant? Exactly. So the, the, the monthly payment that's made to us to be the guarantor is based on two factors. One is the cost of the rental unit, since we're going to be covering it in the event of a default. Uh, the higher the cost of the unit, the higher the, uh, the payment to us. And also is the tenant risk. So if the tenant's a very risky tenant, meaning we haven't been able to verify any income for them, they're probably going to have a very high uh, monthly payment that's required to be paid to us. If they have great cash flow and they're probably going to be a long-term tenant and our, our risk underwriting puts them as a very low-risk tenant of defaulting, then you're gonna, your monthly payments are going to be lower, more in the you know, $20, $30 range. Can, can we talk a little bit uh, more about the benefits uh, you see neighborly offering tenants? Absolutely. One of the biggest problems in the rental industry right now is rental applications being on paper. I just rented a, a, a place with my fiance and we went to about four or five different properties before we were able to secure this. I had to fill out the exact same paper rental application right. four times. It was so frustrating. It's the exact same information every single time and it just put me off. Second is when I'm sending over my credit file from Credit Karma, my most recent pay stub, that's being generally sent over via email, which is extremely, um, it's not a secure means to provide that sort of sensitive information, particularly with GDPR regulation uh, going on in Europe and BC PIPA really tightening up uh, Personal Information Protection Act in British Columbia, tightening up regulation around how you protect information. That is one of the largest problems in the industry right now. And that's actually one of the values of Neighborly is, is we've created a very secure, compliant way for tenants to share their information with a landlord who has to go through a credentialing process. So when a landlord signs up, we make sure we take their ID and we verify it before they have access to request this information from a tenant. So as much as it provides uh, security to the landlord, it's also protecting the tenant. And with our objective risk analysis, it's also often removing a lot of the bias that humans have when making a decision. So it forces landlords to look at the real numbers like cash flow and, you know, chance of a chance of being late on the rent payments. Jerome, it just, uh, I, I think about the rental market right now and I think about how annoying it is to look for a rental, not like outside of the paperwork and, and all the challenges that you have with somebody who either can't afford the rental or who will default on their mortgage payment or rental payment or just being a landlord. I think about the process of going through Craigslist or Kijiji and um, the scams that are out there. And mm -hmm. it's just the worst process imaginable. Um, do you guys like where do you see the rental market in the next few years? Like how is it changing just kind of more in general? And do you guys, uh, maybe as a second question, do you guys have any plans for like an IDX or potentially hosting rental listings on your site as well? Or is that just something outside of your scope? Yeah. So uh, right now I, I can tell you, I'll answer the second question first for you. We have no plans on doing anything except working on risk assessment. The way the industry is going is similar to the banking industry where you're seeing a lot more verticalized banking than you are with you know, the, the, the large banks doing everything. Future of the rental industry, the rental, the, the industry is lagged behind all other major industries in adopting technology. And we're kind of at the beginning of this massive shift. Just how I talked about um, paper rental applications being outdated, the entire industry is moving digital. 
And what you're going to see by that is technology is lowering the cost of transaction. You're going to have property managers that are no longer only able to manage 50 units at a time, but technology is going to enable them to manage 100, 200, 300 units because they can set up automated showings. They can send out digital applications. They can receive rental payments digitally. They don't have to go pick up a check. And all of that is going to create more flexibility in the industry. So you're going to see a lot more co-living, flexible lease terms where people are renting for you know two months as opposed to a standard 12 months. And I'm sure in, in the next five years, you're going to be able to sit on your couch, search for a rental property, do a virtual reality walkthrough, submit a rental application, get approved, sign the lease, and call up a, a moving company to move all your stuff without even leaving your couch. That's the direction the industry is going in. If that's good... I don't know. People should be taking real estate decisions pretty seriously. And you can make an argument that speeding up everything might not necessarily be the best thing when people are making very emotional decisions about where they're going to be putting a roof over their head for the next five years. That's that's super. That's really fascinating. Maybe just kind of even pulling back because we like to we like to think about what real estate in general looks like in, in the coming years. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of companies right now trying to become kind of the centralized database for for real estate and algorithms are obviously getting are improving you know every every day um what are your thoughts in general like how do you see real estate changing over the next uh you know five ten years i i think similar to rentals i think a lot of there's just going to be more democratized data I, i think it was last year in canada when the supreme court ruled that um, MLS system had to release past sale information. Is that right? Right. right. Yes. Yeah. And so Toronto. from my perspective, that just enables all these people that didn't have access to information to be able to access it and not necessarily have to rely on, you know, reading the globe and mail or talking to a real estate broker to access that information. So similar to how you've seen other investment markets, whether it's, um, ETFs or, or bonds, it's more easy to access those investments than, than it has been 10 years ago. And I think the entire real estate industry is going to shift to that, where it's more accessible. There's more creative deals where people will be able to JV with you know 20 partners to buy one condo. That's the way the industry is going to go. What do you guys think of that? <laughs> agree disagree oh i yeah no absolutely i agree and i think from investment uh for sure um i mean we we've already got companies in vancouver that um i believe it's imbi that's doing blockchain right now where you can invest for i think as low as about five dollars right now in in real estate um so there's uh there's fascinating um sites and companies that are that are coming up already and you know i i think i'd mentioned to you we had a conversation last week jerome where we talked about um there's a company out of montreal right now that is trying to develop algorithms that will tell you how quickly your your home will sell at what price Mm -hmm. like within like the day or within the, the few days right um so i mean there's a lot of exciting technology coming up um you know and obviously the role of the broker in all of this changes as well I, I, having been a former broker, it, the commercial space and residential are, are two different spaces completely. In commercial, people make, um, they make business decisions, right? They're mm-hmm. not so concerned about how does this space feel? What, what's the color of the wall? Um, they're more concerned with how my, how will my employees get to this office, for example. In residential, tenants, 
landlords, um, people that are buying homes to live in, they're making emotional decisions all the time. And while I think the role of a broker is going to change because a lot of uh, processes will be automated that have been very manual in the past, the fact that people are making emotional decisions and massive decisions in their life to take on, you know, a $500,000 home, a $2 million home and pay that off for the next 25 years, they need a human involved. And I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Um, which bodes well for the brokerage industry. I think it's just going to skim out a lot of the the kind of fluff of people that are very transactional in the brokerage community versus the real professionals like you guys that actually know your stuff and can add value the whole way through the process. What about the brokerage house? Where do you think that's going? Like, what do you think of the the Remaxes and the Century Twenty Ones of the world? I I think that's going to get chopped up as well to some extent. Um, and the reason I say that is that. The role of a brokerage is effectively to provide enough of a support system for an individual broker to run their business. So they don't have to worry about the small stuff, about you know getting business cards and having a brand that's recognizable. People are going to be able to create their own brand like you guys do with your podcasts and use tools like what we're building to not require or, or not rely on your brokerage to support you. So I, I think they're going to get chopped up. And I, I would imagine that you're going to see some of the large digital players, um, even companies like Zillow that are marketplaces in the States, being able to, to partner with specific agents and, and provide them with leads and deals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and maybe just a, a final question on that note. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on property managers. And you kind of you kind of talked about that about just the scale of how many properties that one can manage will will increase with with resources like Neighborly. Um, but what? How do you see that role changing in in kind of the new rental market? I, I see that right now. I mean, it's already happening where um, the average property management fee for you know, managing one unit is about eight to 10% uh, of annual revenue. And what you're seeing is with competition, that percentage similar to, you know, a commission is getting pushed down and down and down as it becomes easier to manage a property with technology. I wouldn't be surprised, and this might be a little crazy, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see somebody in the residential game doing something similar to what WeWork's done in the office space, where somebody comes in and they lease up 50% of the building uh, of the units in a new rental building from the landlord. Landlord gets paid from this large company and then they go in there and they become the property manager where they have all the control of pushing rents wherever they like. They can do flexible lease terms. They can be the honed in expert, which is very different than having a property manager that manages all, you know, 5,000 units for a landlord across the country. So, so yeah, the interesting thing with property management is, in in my mind, like the property manager. We have a couple property managers we use, and and the the best the best ones are able to vet people. It seems better than other property managers, right? And you seem yeah. to be taking a lot of that skill set out of the uh, out of the game, um, and that's where the real yeah. yeah but that's does, where the rubber hits. Does the road. neighborly deal with leaks at four in the morning, Matt? <laughs> Why are you asking me? Ask not that I've heard, guys. Not, I'm not. Jerome, I'm not can we be call over you there? <laughs> One other question, Jerome, and this is just just thinking about the kind of fractured nature of, and you mentioned this before about about 
the rental market in Canada generally. Uh, are you guys, ha, do you have any, I know you don't have a, like an IDX or, or any plans to, to become a centralized uh, place for, for rents, but are you collecting data on where the rental markets are heading? Because I know in Vancouver, at least, and presumably in, in Toronto as well, people are constantly frustrated with the with the data that exists on on the rental market it just is so lacking um you know presumably you guys would be in a in a in a pretty good position to start collecting some of that data and utilizing that as well you you bring up such a good point um there is such a lack of data in the industry and i'll give you one example of this which which supports what you just said I don't know the exact numbers on this, and I don't think anyone does, which is part of the problem, but I would make the assumption that 60, 70% of all rental transactions that happen in the major cities in Canada, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, uh, Montreal, they're done directly from a landlord to a tenant. And that information's never recorded anywhere. If you guys you know, do a rental or uh, anybody that is, is put up a, a rental on the MLS system, that's recorded, but it's a fraction of the market. Not to mention the information about the tenants who are moving in, the demographics of it, um, the job situations, the average salaries, that information is not captured. And that's one of the main goals of our, of our company is capturing all of that information to be able to build out other products that are helpful, but beyond that, to actually help the real estate industry and solve these problems. When policymakers are making decisions about supply and demand or rent control or things like this, they don't really have enough information, in my opinion, to make big decisions, and they have to work with what they've got. But if you have a company like Neighborly that's able to tell you the average um, rent in a certain neighborhood for a 26-year-old who makes forty-five dollars to $55,000 a year and the likelihood they're going to be moving and where they're going to be moving, you can start to you know, create policy off of that to change how you uh, do urban planning. And there's massive, massive missions that we have at Neighborly that are around collecting that information and using it to improve and solve the problems that exist in the rental industry. Uh, that's super exciting. So do you guys foresee, I mean, because really what it sounds like for the rental market, it's almost like the CMHC, uh, like a crown corporation for the rental market. Like it, do you, it, the the scope is so massive here for what you're doing. For the analytics. Yeah. We're, we're very ambitious. And um, frankly, we've, we've hired a, a team of data scientists here to be able to comb through the information that we collect. And um, I look forward to the first sort of reports that we're going to be generating publicly for the market about, you know, demographic shifts, spending shifts, um, rental shifts in, in different markets. And I, I can't wait for that day when it goes out and everyone starts talking about this because this information has not been available before. Wow. The, the, well, we'll have to obviously have you back, Jerome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, Jerome, one thing we we haven't covered in this uh, fairly extensive, far-reaching conversation is prices. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what uh, what landlords or tenants can expect in terms of costs to use uh, your guys' system? Absolutely. We've set up our business and our tenant screening service completely free. So if you're a landlord, you sign up for an account, there's absolutely no cost to doing it. There's no cost to the tenant. Okay. The reason we did that is that it's the only way for us to access the entire market. A lot of smaller independent landlords just aren't willing to go through the hassle of paying an annual subscription fee, 
paying per report, getting credentialed. They'd rather just have a tenant show up with their own credit file. So we've removed that barrier. Anybody can use it. It's completely free. Unbelievable value, right? We are not a charity, though. We do need to make money. And right. we do that by offering ancillary products. So the one product that we do offer right now is after a tenant's been screened through our system and a report's been generated, they're offered, uh, or, or rather, they're asked if they're interested in tenant insurance, which most landlords require anyway. So we just make it really simple. If the tenant says, yes, I'm interested in rental insurance, they get passed on to one of our insurance partners and they can supply a quote for the rental insurance. That generates revenue for us, allowing us for us uh, for us to offer the service for free. Before we let you go, how can people find out more about Neighborly and what you guys are doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my cell number is no, I'm kidding. My uh, you can <laughs> you get, if anybody wants to learn uh, more information about Neighborly and how they can sign up for a free account and, and get started, um, all they have to do go is to go to neighborly.com. It's N A B. O-R-L-Y dot com. And there's a bunch of information on there. Uh, we've got a great support team here uh, that people can call up, uh, I think, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, seven days a week. Um, and they can find out any any information on there. Um, if uh, One last point I'd, I'd like to make, and I think we almost dug into it, guys, was with the property managers that you guys use in, in making decisions. The point of our service right now is not to remove the decision-making process. And it's it's impossible to ever take all the human elements out of it because it's real estate. This entire business is about people. And so when somebody uses our report, they shouldn't just blindly trust the recommendation that we're, we're giving because we're not there in the situation. There's so many things that despite what we want to do and, and what we want to accomplish, there's a second component to screening, which is shaking someone's hand, meeting them, getting a feel for them, sure. and applying that to the objective data that you're also using. So by no means will Neighborly ever replace the uh, the property manager, but we're going to help enable them and, and help enable the, the, the small landlord who doesn't really know a ton about how to sort through all of this information. We're going to help them make those confident decisions. Jerome, uh, we have this segment called the Five Wire, and and we're not going to ask you any questions about Vancouver, but can we do our first Toronto edition of the Five Wire? Can you stick around for that? I would, I would be absolutely excited to do that. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. So first question, what is your favorite neighborhood in the Big Smoke? I grew <laughs> up in the beaches, guys, in the east end of, the, of Toronto, and the best way to explain it is there's a lot of upper middle class hippies that walk down the street with their Starbucks cups, yoga mat and dog. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. I just love it. So beach is number one neighborhood for me. Our, our old man used to live there for uh, for a short stint and he's neither <laughs> oh, really? of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so, I, sorry, go on, Drew. No, no, no. That's, that's good. I was going to make some inappropriate comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Second question. Favorite bar or restaurant? There is a group that you guys might know in Vancouver, the Donnelly Group. It's uh, They own a number of restaurants and bars out there. They've opened two bars in Toronto so far. One is called Belfast Love, which is on the uh, on King West, the heart of the entertainment district here in Toronto. One of my good friends who I used to work with in, in the bar scene before I got into real estate is the manager there. And uh, they've got pool tables. Tons of draft beer, great food, um, DJ. I hope my check's in the mail from them soon, actually. Great bar. 
Uh, downtown penthouse or West Side Mansion? Oh, wait, wait sorry. Does that actually there's no, apply? There's no West Side. Uh, downtown <laughs> penthouse or Mississauga Mansion? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know what, guys? I'm actually right in the middle of moving from a 21st-story condo to a townhome. I've got a dog. I've got a fiancé. And apparently I'm getting a little bit older and uh, uh, want to get out of the riffraff. So I like some green space and, and quiet over the uh, hustle and bustle of downtown right now. Mississauga Mansion it is. Uh, <laughs> where do you bring someone from out of town first place? Oh, man. To see the Dwayne Gretzky's. <laughs> Oh, I saw them, guys! I saw them. I saw them on New Year's Eve. It was one of the best shows I've ever been to. I, I, I've heard, I've heard that. Oh that, my god! They've traveled uh, to the to the West Coast. Pretty popular. I okay. I anybody that comes to the city, as long as it's in the summertime, I would bring them to the Toronto Island. There's the best view you get of the skyline. Um, there's all sorts of people wandering around having picnics. There's an 18 hole disc golf course on there not that i'm a, a disc golf player i'm more of a fan and uh by far the best place in the city that's wow. the first time i've ever met a disc golf fan <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's great and 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 the last question uh for you jerome what is something that you've bought for under 500 dollars in the last year or so that has had a major positive impact on your life and it could be a, a gadget a book anything well, it was Valentine's Day two weeks ago, guys, and I spent $499 on flowers for my fiance. Wow. Best money I've ever – I'm kidding. I spent about $19.99, <laughs> but it's the best money I've ever spent. Move the decimal to the left. It was $4.99. <laughs> she doesn't know about the podcast. No, she? she won't be listening, but uh, – <laughs> that's maybe, great maybe we'll leave it there <laughs> guys i really appreciate it this has been a lot of fun yeah thanks for taking the time jerome and uh have a great day so there you have it folks our discussion with jerome warniak from neighborly super interesting conversation with jerome matt and uh, what was your biggest takeaway you know what? Not so much a, a, a takeaway, except for the opportunities that exist in the in the, that marketplace that's sure. so fractured. Um, you know, it's just a really exciting space, and I think what Neighborly's doing is just uh, fantastic. And really excited to hear what comes down the pipe next. Will you use it? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know what? Like we said, past guests have used it. It's uh, it sounds like it's amazing service, and it's free, which is which is incredible. Sure. What what was your big takeaway? Um, I was surprised that Jerome was almost a professional baseball player. <laughs> that was my biggest. Uh, that was my biggest takeaway. I had no idea that he was. Uh, and, and now we've done like a deep dive into his baseball stats. And There's actually maybe we should we'll link to it in the show notes. All the photos of him pitching and uh, you know, belly, belly itching, <laughs> um, and battering and uh, broken laddering. Um, but uh, he he was six foot six, if you can believe no, it. No, he still is. Oh, still is, still is. <laughs> Sorry, I'm speaking of him like he's Babe Ruth. Uh, he was six foot six, two hundred and fifteen pounds. Anyways, he's a, he's a big fellow and uh, hell of a baseball player. Hell of a baseball player, and also a really good guy, of course. Yeah, no kidding. That was a great conversation. 
So anyway, Adam, what else do we got? Matt, um, one thing I will mention again is just another plug for our talk tomorrow night at UBC. We will be speaking at the Vancouver Housing Market Club event. Um, We're discussing pre-sale versus resale. We're also talking about 10 tips for aspiring real estate moguls. And then we're also going to unleash our five... (laughs) top areas for investment and uh, oh, yeah i'm pretty excited i almost feel like going back to school to get into this uh talk yeah you're like rodney dangerfield um back <laughs> to school on that. yeah but uh here's the thing we it is 90 percent full so you're gonna have to get um find them if you first of all first requirement yeah. is you have to be a ubc student okay um so they it is tomorrow it's 90 percent full there's our tickets still available so look for vancouver housing market club on facebook uh and get in touch and then if you want we can do an introductory to uh david jang as well the president and he can get you tickets. absolutely yeah you can reach out to us if uh if you're having trouble getting tickets also adam of course we have vancouver real estate podcast.com where you go to get research tools like private client services matt if you are not using pcs you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by you get sold prices days on market it's basically realtor level information at your fingertips it's free it's the best research tool out there we've used them all and it's available at vancouver real estate podcast.com if you're not using pcs to search vancouver real estate you're doing it wrong absolutely and we should also say we've had a lot of reviews lately we're almost at 210 yeah we're at reviews 109 right now 209 we really really appreciate everybody reaching out and uh, if you like the show if you find value in the show really the best compliment you can give us other than getting in touch is to leave us a review on itunes or wherever you listen to the program and uh yeah or you can let a friend or family member know about the show as well that's uh how we grow that is how we grow. And if you want to get in touch, you can call me at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that secret Scalina line. Info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. He's actually more of a George McFly than a Biff. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Hello? Hello, McFly? Hello? Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but 
you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 